Welcome to Cyberspectives, a cybercrime magazine podcast series brought to you by Microsoft. In this series, we're joined by Ann Johnson, Corporate Vice President of Microsoft Security Business Development. From the way the tech industry is tackling cyber threats to the language it uses to communicate, Ann is challenging traditional schools of thought and cyber norms to encourage the industry to get outside its comfort zone and expand how it addresses the evolving threat landscape. I'm your host, Hilary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. Anne, hello. Welcome back. So great to be speaking with you. Thank you so much. So Anne, safeguarding user identities and managing access permissions within organizations continues to be one of the largest challenges faced by CISOs and IT security teams. So for today's episode of Cyberspectives, I'd like to speak with you about identity and access management. And I guess, do you want to start by sharing with us a quick overview of how identity and access management is evolving and how it's connected to the future of data? Such a great topic and a great question. So historically, when we thought about identity and access management, we thought about this hardened perimeter and keeping people out of our environment, right? We wanted our employees who were working in their office being able to access whatever tools they needed, but we didn't really want people coming in and we didn't necessarily want our employees going out either in a big way. Now we've come to realize identity and access management is incredibly dynamic and it's context aware and it's ever changing, right? Employees could be working anywhere on any devices. They want access to the data. It may not be a company issued device. It could be a kiosk. It could be a device they share with their child. They could be using something that they use for you know, other work. So we need to understand the dynamic nature of that identity and we need to understand the risks that identity plays because when you have so many people coming into your environment from so many different machines and devices and locations, you're going to have a significant increase in your risk. And that word dynamic and that word conditional are things we have to get really comfortable with. Okay, great. So I guess in addition to what you shared, you know, why is identity access management, why is that so challenging? And what are the top concerns you're hearing from security professionals regarding their enterprise's common access security gaps? So the biggest thing for organizations right now is to bring their identity infrastructure into a modern environment, right? They need to modernize all their identity infrastructure and bring it to the cloud. We still talk to a lot of organizations that have some identity infrastructure on premises and some identity infrastructure in the cloud. And we talk to others that have a lot of complex identity infrastructure on premises. And the challenge with that is the actors, as we've seen in some of the largest attacks in recent years, will take advantage of the on-premises infrastructure to actually launch attacks into the cloud. So the first thing we need organizations to do is understand what the risk is and modernize their identity infrastructure. The second thing, and I talk about this a lot, Hillary, is using multi-factor authentication for 100% of your users, 100% of the time. We will ultimately want you to go to a passwordless environment where you don't have any passwords and your multi-factor authentication is the authentication. We also want you to use fish-proof multi-factor authentication because there are attacks that can take place even in multi-factor environments. So we're evolving. We're evolving with the FIDO2 standards. We're evolving to where our customers need us. And the other thing you're going to see really prevalent is decentralized identity because people want to have, you know, don't want to be five different people or 10 different people, depending on what hack asset they're accessing. They want to be the same human being on the internet. So we're seeing a lot of play for identity verification and authorization and related to decentralized identities. And so multi-factor authentication, I'm glad that you, you know, brought that up because 
MFA fatigue is something that I've been hearing more and more about from guests. Why is this happening? And I guess it's inevitable, but what can be done to help combat it? Yeah. So a couple things. If you get like push MFA things to approve, right? Your MFA authenticator or your SMS message, it wants you to approve something. And what will happen is the bad actors will know that people get fatigued. So they'll push them out eight to 10 times, assuming that at some point in time, someone will say, oh, this must be real because I'm getting it so much and they'll press OK. So that type of fatigue can be stopped a couple of ways. One thing that we've done at Microsoft is we've actually put timing in place so that you can't send those messages concurrently or in, in such a fast speed of time. Because we find that in all types of cyber attacks, if you can pause, pausing is the most important thing you can do for users, by the way. Whether it's a phishing attack, a standard phishing attack, the user pauses and looks at it and says, is this real? Or whether it's an attack like an MFA fatigue attack, if we can force the user to pause, it'll give them time to think and not just react. And that's the most important thing we can do. And then finally, just changing that at the experience where you're actually not necessarily having a push, but you're having a matching, right? It's a little less convenient, but it's more secure. The user actually has to go in and match a set of numbers or something like that to improve the security of the all-up solution. Okay, great. And on the Microsoft Security blog, Brooklyn Wienig, who is a senior product marketing manager at Microsoft, she spoke with Alyssa Dr. J. Abdullah, who is MasterCard's deputy chief security officer and a host here on Cybercrime Radio. And they spoke about identity and access management. And I really enjoyed the article, which for folks is titled CSO Perspective, Why a Strong IAM Strategy is Key to an Organization's Cybersecurity Approach. And Within the article, Brooke asks Dr. J, what private sector organizations can learn from President Biden's 2021 executive order on cybersecurity, which mandated a zero trust approach for all government agencies? And I guess I'd like to ask you that same question. It's been a bit over a year since this executive order was enacted. Zero trust is something you and I have spoken about on previous episodes, but you know, what can private organizations learn and implement from this executive order for themselves? Yeah, I think that the important things that private organizations can learn from the executive order, the first thing is we still have too much privilege in environments, right? And when you have too much privilege in environments, the bad actors know how to abuse that. And they know how to elevate their privilege from, say, my machine to your machine, Hillary. And then suddenly you have administrator rights and you really shouldn't have administrator rights. So that's one of the first things about zero trust. It's all related to identity, right? What do I need to do for my job and what's the least amount of privilege I can have to do my job? That's the most important thing. The second thing is we talked about multi-factor authentication. That's certainly part of zero trust. The third thing is interrogating every single transaction that happens in a session, which is just so incredibly important because you're looking for anomalous behavior, not just for humans, but for devices, for applications, for data. And if you can get that anomalous behavior and you can catch it and you can detect it and you can block it and you can have automated remediation. It's so incredibly important. So as organizations move toward a zero trust architecture, and by the way, almost all organizations are on some type of zero trust journey, whether they know it or not, those three building blocks, the looking at privilege and auditing it in your organization and reducing it across the organization, rolling out multi-factor authentication, and then finally, making sure that you're using some type of machine learning engine to look for anomalous behavior and to detect it and to block it. And so how does permissions management integrate within a larger digital identity strategy? 
Yeah, permissions management such a big word, right? Or a big phrase because, you know, we can talk about authorization, which is what is the user allowed to do? We can talk about authorization for devices. What's a device allowed to do? What is an application allowed to do? Where's a data allowed to transit? So permissions management is not just something that you should think about simplistically. You actually need to think about holistically how permissions are granted how they're audited. And then most importantly, what people are really bad about doing is taking users out of you know systems where the user may have left the environment or they've changed role and removing or reducing their permissions based on their new role. And having that, I talked a lot about dynamic at the beginning, having all of that conditional and dynamic. Excellent. So, Anne, what are other strategies and perhaps key investment areas that enterprises should employ as a part of their overall digital identity management? I think that is part of their overall management. People are still like nascent and early in their journey. So I think the most important thing is that visibility. Who is accessing your environment? How are they accessing it? On what device? Is the device managed? Is the device healthy, right? These are all things that are part of your identity strategy and can't be separated, by the way. Management has to be part of your strategy. Patching has to be part of your strategy. And visibility is what CISOs will tell you is their biggest concern. They just don't have the visibility they need across the entirety of their environment. And so my final question for you, as I always like to ask, anything else that you'd like our audience to know? No, I would encourage them once again, you know, people will often ask me what's the most important thing you can do. And the most important thing was the first thing, right? The first thing you can do is, and that doesn't actually cost any money as far as buying technology, it just costs some human capital, is going out there and looking at the privilege throughout your environment and making sure that you are running a least privileged paradigm throughout the entirety of your environment. Wonderful. Well, Anne, as always, thank you so much for taking the time to join me and our audience and discuss, you know, everything that we discussed together on this digital identity management. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. I'm Hilary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. Joining me today was Ann Johnson, Corporate Vice President of Microsoft Security Business Development. Cyberspectives is brought to you by our sponsor, Microsoft. To learn more about Microsoft's security approach, visit microsoft.com backslash security. And for more episodes like this, you can listen to more Cyberspectives at cybercrime.radio. 